Welcome to the pulse that moves the triangle world today. This one-size-fits-all broadcast is a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, helpful tips, what's trending, events, and boundless other adventures. It's a conversation pit of comedians, politicians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Inspreffer. Hi, friends. Hey, if you haven't heard about this, you should. The North Carolina League of Municipalities is a member-driven organization representing the interests of cities and towns in the state. North Carolina is comprised of 552 municipalities statewide, 540 of which are members of the League. Why should you care? Because through their collective efforts, League member cities and towns better serve their residents and improve quality of life. For more than 100 years, the League has been one voice for cities and towns working for a better North Carolina. In addition to helping members work together to develop advocacy goals and building principles that promote municipal interests, which we will get to a bit later, especially in the COVID-19 arena, they're doing a lot there, the League offers its members many services. Here to tell us all about them is Jennifer Robinson, who has served as town councilwoman for the town of Cary since 1999 and is president of the North Carolina League of Municipalities. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Let's start by breaking down some of the services and have you tell us about each one. First, consulting. What does that involve? Okay, well, the League serves as an extension of municipal staff by providing best practices, financial and operating consulting, and technical assistance. For example, governance um, have had to adjust how we run our meetings because of social distancing. And when we first hit this, you know, COVID experience, the League worked through the legal aspects of this and advised cities and towns on how to run their meetings electronically. Well, that sure came in handy with COVID, man. Everybody was thrown oh, yeah. for a loop there. Exactly. What in the world do we do? Exactly. And it keeps us from all having to reinvent the wheel. The league does it once for us, and then we have the information that we need. Perfect. And legal assistance is offered. That's right. Um, the This is a huge aspect of the league. Um, the league's legal team helps cities and towns understand their legal ob- obligations and weighs in on court cases and administrative rulings that um, have far-reaching municipal effects. So, not you know, they don't get involved in cases that just involve one city. It's usually one city or many cities, but it has an impact on all cities. So, um, you know, that really helps us from, from you know, facing consequences that like um, having local controls taken away or, um, impacts to us that will end up causing our citizens to have to pay more in taxes. What about the insurance program? Well, the insurance is probably one of the biggest aspects of the league. The league provides insurance coverages for most of the local government agencies in North Carolina, and they're experts in understanding municipal government's unique risk management needs. 
So what I mean by that is our insurance goes up or demands for insurance go up as we have more risk. So the league steps in and and proactively tries to help um, providing things such as training for officers, um, police officers, so they uh, can learn how to avoid using force. And that um, that kind of uh, consulting and training keeps our insurance rates lower for our cities. So you touched on training. Can you tell us the, the scope of the training that uh, the league provides? Yeah, they, we provide a, training to a lot of different aspects of local government. The one that's kind of nearest and dearest to my heart is equipping elected officials in doing their jobs well. And it may come as a surprise to you, but most of us don't enter office having any experience with elected office, and we don't really know exactly what we're doing and what our responsibilities and roles are. And the league helps uh, to train elected officials, and we also partner with the School of Government to do that, but really equip elected officials to be the best that they can be. We also offer other kinds of training. I mentioned the you know, training for police officers, um, we provide training for other uh, levels of staff, you know, in local government. You know, I, I didn't realize that. I often wondered, if you haven't been in the political field, how do you just know what to do? You know? <laughs> and you do not. <laughs> I can't tell you from experience. You do not. Yeah, it really does. It, you, know, you learn a lot from experience, but it really does help to have the league there to um, explain to you what you can and cannot do. Because I think people come into office and they're like, yeah, I want to change the world. And, <laughs> and, and then they find out that they, the things that thought they could do, they don't even have the um, right to do as elected official. Very interesting. Very interesting. I, I think a lot of people might be, you know, they might think about getting into politics, but wonder, exactly that. How do I do it? What would I do? Where would I go? How, you know, what's the rules? And it's good to know there's some kind of training out there. And maybe some people listening to this might get involved knowing they're not going to be just dropped in the pool and say, you know, sink or swim. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I have a lot of people who say to me, no, I've been for elected office. I just don't think I could do the job. I don't know if I could do it. And it's nice to know that there are organizations like the League and the School of Government that are there to kind of walk alongside you and help you. Now, the League also provides information services. What's what's involved with that? Okay. Um, Well, they provide information in all directions, I would just say. They provide research and updates to municipal elected officials and to our staff members. And they do that through um, electronic newsletters and a magazine and other forms of media. But they also um, are a source of facts and figures and insights for our state and federal leaders. So, and as well as our stakeholders, you know, chambers of commerce and whatnot can get pertinent information about uh, cities and not just about what's happening today, but what the impacts could be of potential legislation. Well, that all sounds like a pretty bow operation during yeah. regular business hours, so to speak. But with yeah. the pandemic, like we said, wow, the primary focus for the league at this time is to campaign to the federal and state on behalf of its members whose local revenue streams have been impacted by COVID-19. I mean, everybody knows this is a ligament-tearing undertaking when you look at the facts. And here are some cold ones. 
Conservative estimates show North Carolina municipalities suffering $600 million in lost revenue through the current fiscal year ending June 2021. Our poor tourism industry in North Carolina has already suffered an estimated $6 billion in losses due to COVID-19. And the State Utilities Commission reported in mid-June that over 13% of customers aren't paying their utility bills. What does that equate to? Well, utility providers are waiting on $252 million in delinquent payments. Jennifer, if we could, let's analyze all this for a moment. Are these losses consistent everywhere? No, they're not consistent. They're, they vary from community to community. You know, all of our um, cities have a different makeup of our revenue stream. So some communities have been um, hit hardest by decreased in sales revenues, and others have been hit hardest by this decrease in utility revenue because people aren't paying their utility bills. Um, but it appears that the tourism community, which have been um, – Reliant on hotel occupancy taxes and sales taxes are the ones that are have been hit the hardest in North Carolina. So I'm guessing the financial losses that we're talking about are far from determined as the scope of the pandemic's economic effects amid businesses closing, reopening, reclosing is unknown and ongoing, correct? Yeah, we... Um, you know, nobody knows how long this pandemic is going to go on and it's associated with a recession. You know, how long is that going to last? Um, as you mentioned before, the current estimate right now anticipates that North Carolina cities and towns will have lost $600 million in revenues between March 2020 and June 2021. So just over a year of time, we'll have lost $600 million in revenue. And um, that's, that's absolutely sobering. Um, it's scary for municipal officials to be facing this type of revenue loss. And um, as you know, it's completely unpredicted. So none of us had um, been putting in any kind of provisions uh, for this type of complete downfall. Mm -hmm. I know even the towns themselves, again, going back to training, um, there's just always been a certain amount of training for when something happens, whether it's a hurricane or tornado or any kind of short staffed issue at the town. But COVID I think has really put, you know, just like, I don't even know how to say it. I mean, it's like, it's like, okay, we had all these plans, but wow, we need so much more. That's right. That's right. And, you know, one thing that we know about in local governance is that governing cities and towns is like a three-legged stool. You know, we're balancing revenues, services, and taxes. So when our sources of revenue, like sales tax and occupancy tax or permit fees or um, user fees are high, then a city can provide excellent services while keeping our property taxes low. But if our revenue falls like it has with this, recession from COVID, something has to give. And so either our cities have to lower the quality of its services and and decrease their, you know, the type of infrastructure they're providing, or they have to raise taxes. And that's the bind that we're finding ourselves in. It's, it's the citizens who are going to hurt um, from the uh, loss of revenues that city organizations are, are experiencing. Mm-hmm. 
is there a compromise there? Like maybe, you know, a little less service and a little less tax increase? Yeah. Rather than either <laughs> or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we just, the cities in North Carolina balance their budget um, as of, uh, they, they create their new budget as of July 1. So that our new fiscal year just started. And so the months of April, May, and June, we were all grappling with it. What is this? What does this COVID recession mean to us? What's it going to do to our 2021? What services can we cut? And what taxes are we going to have to increase? And so all, all of the municipalities around have done, have taken different approaches. In my community, um, we increased taxes a little bit. It's actually the first time we've ever increased taxes in the, in the 20 years I've been in office. And then, um, in addition to that, we, we stopped certain things. We stopped certain capital projects, and we um, we didn't hire anybody new. We didn't increase our employee salaries at all this year. So we we had to make all kinds of sacrifices throughout. And that's what we're seeing happening in cities. Well, that sounds like a good plan, um, and and kind of this goes along with it. North Carolina cities are builders of infrastructure and major employers. So when they cut services or delay construction projects, how do these cuts and delays reverberate throughout the economy? Yeah, it, 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 you know, citizens rely on their cities and towns to build roads and parks and the systems that deliver clean water and take the dirty water away. Um, you know, we also create this environment for businesses to establish and thrive. You know, it, we're the economic developers, really, for for the state, but all this work provides jobs, not just for government employees, but to the private sector, engineers and construction workers, the communication companies, the information technology professionals, and more. So when cities suffer, so do many of the people and companies that, who do work in the cities and operate within the city. So this has profound reach. Let's talk about investments. What's the impact there? Yeah, well, I'm having um, this conversation with a lot of my fellow elected officials across the state. With less revenue, you know, as I mentioned, we've had to make really um, tough budget decisions. And there'll be a lot of infrastructure projects like new parks and roads that are going to be delayed. Many governments have stopped hiring, and they're putting all their service improvements on hold. Now, the big concern that I have um, has to do with maintenance. And, you know, we saw this in the, in the Great Recession that we went through a decade ago, Many in that period, um, many cities could not afford to maintain the streets and buildings um, to the level that they were accustomed to. And so, you know, after the many years passed that it took local governments to recover financially from that last recession, you know, we ended up having to go into uh, uh, doing a lot of deferred maintenance. You know, taking care of these roads, potholes, and whatnot that we just couldn't afford to take care of before, and. And that's a big problem. You know, citizens don't want to see their community, you know, a road around them. So we're trying to make sure that we maintain infrastructure and our investments and protect our investments throughout this will be critical. So why do economic recessions have a longer impact on local governments than the private sector? Yeah, that's um, that's something that was really enlightening to me when I you know, started serving in public office. When you have a recession, you know, companies will bounce back. You know, people will start eating at the restaurant again and, and so forth. But cities 
a lot of cities rely on the revenue development that occurs through new growth, through the um, establishment of new businesses or the building of homes and whatnot. So when you go through a recession, a lot of those activities slow down. Therefore, the revenue generation from it slows down. And um, we see a lot of just, uh, I guess I should say it this way, we, we have a slower recovery in those revenues than a private business would. So the Great Recession took, uh, on average across the country, it took cities about 10 years to recover from the Great Recession. And we really were just starting to, like, you know, really churn, and then um, the COVID recession hit us. Ugh. That's yeah. that's just plain old sad news right there. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I feel like it's a Debbie Downer. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's like he just got back on the horse, and all of a sudden, he I bucked know. again. <laughs> that's life, I guess. Okay, so yeah. with all this advocacy, you know, didn't the CARES Act address a lot of these issues? Like, why do we have to go back to the drawing board with that? Okay, that's a really good question. So, you know, the CARES funding that was done, the CARES Act, was really well-intentioned. So, you know, I have to thank all of our representatives who worked on that and voted for it. You know, I, I appreciate it. Um, I think that the people who are drafting that act were concerned about the oversight of funds. And I say that as an elected official who has to worry about these types of things. Um I think that when they were drafting it, they were thinking, hey, how can we make sure that the funds are spent in the right way by the right people? So what they did is they limited who could receive those funds and then what the funds could be used for. So in the CARES Act, the way it's written, it only cities and counties with populations greater than 500,000 people could receive a direct allocation. So in North Carolina, that meant that Mecklenburg County, Wake County, and Guilford County received funds along with the city of Charlotte. So those are only four local governments um, in North Carolina that received direct allocations. So, um, if, you know, as you know, we have 520-some cities in North Carolina. That means that most of the cities did not receive any direct funding. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of exacerbate that problem, the funds can only be used to pay for expenditures incurred due to the COVID public health emergency. So, in other words, the money can be spent for response and recovery, but it can't be used to compensate local governments for lost revenues. And so it can't help cities endure um, the drops in sales tax and occupancy tax revenue or the delinquent utility payments that so many of us are experiencing. So that is so good. The league members are getting involved in reaching out to state and federal representatives about this impact. But You know, Jennifer, with 85% of jobs and 75% of retail sales coming from within municipal borders, I would think even non-members may want to get involved in this. What can the average citizen do? Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you asking that question because I I do think that's true. When people realize that um, they're going to be impacted, the quality of life is going to be impacted by this recession, um, they may want to reach out and, and do just what like the league members are doing, uh, reach out to their uh, federal representatives and ask them uh, in the next round of CARES funding to include municipalities for direct allocations. And also in that CARES funding, ask that the funds um, be, be available 
to compensate for lost revenues, because that's kind of like the double hit there, is that we need allocations directly to cities, but we also need that fund, those funds to be available for us to use the way we need them to uh, to be used. And a lot of people aren't sure who their congressional representatives are, so uh, they may be interested to know that they can go to www.congress.gov and find a list of their federal representatives just by entering their zip code in, and it's, it's very simple to do. Can you give that site one more time? Sure, sure. It's www.congress.gov. I'm so glad you you gave us that because I think a lot of people don't know who their representatives are and how to reach them, and so that should be helpful. And this has just been such an eye-opening conversation, and I hope people will reach out. I mean, we've all... We've heard it a million times. We've all got to pitch in with this whole COVID thing, whether it's wearing a mask or contacting a representative and so forth. I mean, it's going to take a village, as they say. That's right. We're all in this together. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mary. I appreciate it. Time for our nonprofit spotlight. For more than 160 years, the YMCA of the Triangle has been committed to nurturing the potential of children through youth development, improving the nation's health and well-being by promoting healthy living, and fostering a sense of social responsibility by providing opportunities to give back and support neighbors. They are great always, but through times of crisis, they really know how to step up, including during the pandemic. In a timely fashion, they strive to reopen their pools, create outside and virtual exercise classes, and set up equipment stations outdoors. Additionally, the YMCA has responded to the community's needs by providing childcare for frontline workers and creating the Delivering Good program. By partnering with other nonprofits, the YMCA's Delivering Good assisted in stocking food pantries, staffing food distribution sites, collecting food from the community, and distributing food to others by utilizing their fleet of buses. With children being our highest priority, the YMCA of the Triangle, including the Northwest Cary YMCA and the Taylor Family YMCA, has been working diligently and in collaboration with local school systems to develop supplemental learning programs that align with the educational requirements while also supporting out-of-school time and children that have these needs. To that end, they have developed scholastic support centers where K-8 through students can go to participate in their online school. Each center is staffed by YMCA program directors, educational specialists, and staff who are trained to assist children with their remote learning and schoolwork. Spaces are designed to comply with state and local guidelines for COVID-19 safety and social distancing. This is just this is just a great opportunity for a lot of parents who are struggling with the whole in-class, out-of-class dilemma 
of the school year with this whole COVID-19 situation. So if you want more information about the Scholastic Support Centers near you or just general info about the YMCA, visit ymcatriangle.org. ymcatriangle.org. Well, it's time to high five and say goodbye. We're everywhere, including Pandora now, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc. Or you can always catch us on our website, triangle411.buzzsprout.com. I'm Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 be kind-hearted. <laughs>